Stay up to date on Fact MI, Pharma Collaboration for Transparent Medical Information. Weekly supervised learning for categorization of medical inquiries for customer service effectiveness. In a recent article published on NCBI on the U.S. National Library of Medicine National Institutes of Health, colleagues explored novel approaches to analyzing medical information inquiries utilizing natural language processing and machine learning focusing on the methodology implemented to develop and evaluate these models. This is an interesting article, which will be posted in the show notes. Another interesting article on open access is medical information leaders in Europe, they're known as MILE, M-I-L-E, are delighted to announce that the Code for Digital Task Force had a paper entitled The Critical Need to Build a European Governance Model for Online Access to Medical Information Services, published in the Pharmaceutical Medicines Journal. The key takeaway message from the publications were currently, there is no specific framework governing the provision of online medical information by the pharmaceutical industry for healthcare professionals, HCPs, in Europe. And a literature review and benchmarking survey confirmed that there's a gap between the needs of HCPs and the online service offering. The position paper advocates the collaboration of key stakeholders across Europe to develop and implement a governing model and quality framework to enable company medical information functions to better meet the online medical information needs of healthcare providers. Be sure to take a look at all of FactMI's information. Go to factmiphactmi.org. Once again, that's factmi.org. Coming soon from FactMI, a three-part series on the Pharma Collaboration for Transparent Medical Information, exclusively here on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community health care. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. My name is Bruce Neeland and I get to be your host. Today's topic is a powerful one. We're going to be talking about PBMs. And as you all know, that's a hot topic in the industry. The good news is I have on our program today a remarkable pharmacist who is going to be sharing with us some of the experiences he has had in working not only as a pharmacy owner, and uh, a person who has uh, ownership interest in uh, Asti's South Hills Pharmacy in the Pittsburgh area. They also operate a long-term care pharmacy. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, they have a partnership interest in Paragon Pharmacy 360, a specialty pharmacy, which as you'll hear in a little bit, provides them some amazing opportunities in the PBM and benefit space. But first of all, let me tell you his name. This is Chris Antipas. 
Chris and I have known each other for about five years. Um, it was my honor to nominate him to be the next gen pharmacist of the year in 2020. And to my delight and his, he was uh, selected as the Parada Pharmacy Times Next Generation Pharmacist of the Year in the Entrepreneur category. Chris, take a minute to say hello, and then I'll introduce our second guest. Good morning, Bruce. Nice to be with you. It's a pleasure to be a guest on your show here today and talk about some of the fun and exciting things we're doing. Well, and you are doing some fun things. And speaking of fun, uh, let me introduce our second guest. Robin Amberg is the Senior Director of Business Development for Prescribe Wellness, a TRHC healthcare division. Um, she's an expert in pharmacy operations and profitability and patient care. Um, she also happens to be my daughter. And uh, she's the one who introduced me to Chris several years ago when I was looking for a subject for an article I was writing for one of the trade journals. Robin, say hello. Hello. Thanks for letting me be here. Yeah. So where are you, Robin? And how long have you been with Prescribed Wellness? And just a little background on you. Yeah, thanks. So I actually live in the central part of the state of Louisiana. Um, I worked for, I started actually with Prescribed Wellness in March of 2013, um, where we had the opportunity, you and I, Dad, to actually support some of their, their growth and, and launch into the space with community pharmacy. So I've been with them even through the acquisition from Tabula Rasa, which happened in March of 2019. Um, so excited to continue that journey as they expand what they can bring into uh, the community pharmacy space in patient care. Well, thank you. And so, uh, Chris, uh, the subject today is PBMs, uh, near and dear to every pharmacist's heart. Um, you've been involved in that well beyond that as a person who contracts with and fills prescriptions for. Give us some background on Henderson Brothers and what you do there, and uh, that'll kind of kick off where we're going to go from here. Sure. So you kindly introduced the pharmacy, uh, my pharmacy background, ownership and retail, long-term care and specialty. And in addition to that, I am the director of pharmacy solutions for Henderson Brothers, and Henderson Brothers is a brokerage firm. They're really a benefits uh, brokerage and consulting firm. And we advise employers to, you know, to design, uh, architect, implement their employee benefits programs. Sounds impressive. So, Robin, why don't you, since you know Chris a lot better than I do, why don't you kind of take over from here? Tell us a little bit more for those of us who don't quite understand, what is the impact today of the different payer models that pharmacies deal with? And why is it that um, on the commercial side, they bring an opportunity for pharmacy that maybe they're not aware of or, or can help better explain for, for those of us that are new? Yeah, sure. So when, when I look at my my pharmacy operation, my retail pharmacy, we fill about 5,000 prescriptions a week. We're a single location, obviously, to the, to the average pharmacy out there. This is a significant increase in volume comparatively. And when I look at my business, 
I, I can define my patients. I can segment my patients into really four categories. One is the Medicare patient. Uh, and Medicare can be great. Medicare can be very painful. We, we deal with DIR fees, obviously. I mean, this is one of the, this is a center issue for Medicare, uh, are the DIR fees and how egregious they can be. And, and I don't need, I could talk about that for an hour, uh, <laughs> but I don't need to, it's, it's well-documented. Uh, but even beyond the DIRs that closely connected to that are the preferred network. So we're losing patients that we've served for years because it, they can save hundreds of dollars per year going to somewhere, somewhere else. Uh, and I think there's a huge opportunity to address Medicare, but we're, we're battling that, you know, we're, we're waging that war in DC. We have another segment of our patients are Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid can be great for some and it can be painful for others. There, there are certain states, a neighboring state in West Virginia, where they, they carved out their pharmacy benefits uh, at the Medicaid level to fee for service. And there's a standard dispense fee uh, and there's more consistency there. And by the way, the state saved a bunch of money. Uh, when you look to many other states, they, they either have you know, kicked out PBMs and gone with a centralized vendor like Ohio. I mean, war is being waged in state capitals, auditor generals or attorney generals trying to recoup money that they lost. But even still today, you could be either in a good spot or a bad spot with Medicaid, depending on what state you're located. The third segment is the cash paying customer. There are some pharmacies, uh, pharmacies I know a good friend of mine, Kyle McCormick, uh, has a cash only pharmacy here in Pittsburgh. And this is a model that is kind of gaining in popularity as you know, many, many generics are, generics are actually taking up a higher percentage of all drug utilization. You can be, you can have several chronic conditions and be treated with all generics and you can do so affordably uh, beyond those types of arrangements, you've got compounding uh, pharmacies that may be cash only, and it can be great if you can get enough volume. Right. The fourth segment is really the commercial space, and the commercial space is really where, you know, we we recently saw Rutledge versus PCMA that went to the Supreme Court. It ruled in favor of uh, Rutledge, who is running, I believe, for governor and. Uh, She's, she definitely has my support, but the, the question was on governing of ERISA self-funded insurance plans and whether they could circumvent state laws or not. And I can say, even with the passing of, or the, the, the vote in favor of Rutledge in that case, it's still a significant sloped uphill battle to, to have success in the commercial market. The, the health plans, the employers, and the PBMs are permitted to mandate patients use a specific pharmacy, uh, let's say a specific chain or required to use mail order, and they don't have freedom of choice. And, and reimbursement rules are not, they don't need to be followed because of ERISA preemption. Uh, and for in my business model, the commercial Commercially covered patient is often the lowest profitability uh, because the reimbursement rates are very, very, very aggressive. And yet the commercial space, in my opinion, has the most tremendous opportunity because there is an easy pathway to the ultimate payer that's responsible for these patients. In the case of commercial and this commercial market, the payers are the employers. And these are humans, these are individuals that we have access to. These employers are really, really 
interested in managing the cost of their health plan that they offer their employees. And so when you're a pharmacy that offers value beyond, you know, the vending machine services that we really provide, you know, stick in a prescription, out comes a bottle of drugs. Uh, if we do anything more than that, and those services can improve the health of that patient, this is of great interest to employers. And unfortunately, for some reason, community pharmacies have not really been able to engage with employers. Uh, but I, you know, I have had some success in that space. And, you know, that's part of the reason why we're talking today. Yeah, absolutely. And it is interesting, because I know, uh, and you know, when I work with pharmacies, we are so focused on, you know, managing their Medicare population, right? But it is, I really appreciate that opportunity, or I guess the ability, as you say, to have a more direct pathway, a more direct access point to that, that plan, that employer, that plan sponsor, because it puts some control back or power back on the community pharmacy side. So that's empowering. So then that's the question is if, if they can do that, what, what is it that they do? What can pharmacy do to actually address this commercial market? Yeah. And that's a, that's the million dollar question, really. Um, when we, for, for a decade, it, you know, the, there's been always a conversation going on anytime I go to conferences or I talk to colleagues that there is a serious and profound interest from community pharmacies to work with employers. And I had that same desire. And about eight years ago, seven years ago, I said, you know what, enough is enough. I can go and talk directly to the employer and tell them about all the great things we're doing and we can do for their population. And, you know, maybe that maybe it involves making a change to the PBM they work with, uh, maybe a, a PBM that might be friendlier to, uh, you know, a customized network of sorts where where we can express our value to to the employer uh, in a meaningful way. And so I went on that journey. So I, I essentially I, I, I try to identify any and every source of information and knowledge that I could gain to be better informed on, you know, the employer benefits plan, right? I'm an employer. I have 50 plus employees at my retail pharmacy alone. So I have health insurance and I offer that to my employees. We're fully insured, of course, because we're not, we're not big enough to be self-funded, but we, you know, even with that, there was still a gap in my knowledge. So I, I went on this journey to try and learn as much as I could. And then I started calling on employers in my community that I had a relationship with. And I learned pretty quickly that that was not a good strategy. It failed. I failed miserably. Even though I felt really confident about what I knew, I failed uh, because I tried to go and work directly with an employer. And it wasn't until that time that I realized, guess what? the employer is not really making the decisions. They, they may sign off on the decisions, but there's another party involved here that is guiding the conversation. And that was the benefits broker or consultant. And the broker and consultant, uh, as I learned, had tremendous influence. I, I don't know, I'm sure mo you and maybe most of the listeners have seen my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> and in that movie, the, uh, the mother was telling her daughter who was, you know, having a fight with her dad about 
you know, your father may be the head of this house, but I am the neck and I turn the head whatever direction I want it <laughs> to go. That quote resonated with me because that's exactly what's going on in the employer space. The broker is the neck. The broker turns the, the employer whatever direction they want. And if the broker doesn't agree with a recommendation or a strategy, there is a 0.1% chance of getting anything through. Now, there are exceptions to that rule for sure, uh, but that's the broker's job. They're paid you know, pretty good money to ensure that the employers make the right decisions for their population. And the other thing that I realized was that you know, despite coming in and, and being you know, confident in my pharmacy knowledge, the employer benefits space is a thousand times more complicated than I originally thought. And it was going to take a lot more homework to go in and make a, a recommendation that was sound and, and made sense and was good, uh, but also took into consideration that, you know, dozens of other factors that go into to an employer actually making a change of any kind within their benefit plan. And that's what really set me on a journey to have to engage with brokers to to see if if I could influence some of the recommendations they were making to their clients. So now that you figured that out, um, is it is it as simple as pharmacies just need to pick up the phone and start calling brokers? What what's that look like then? Well, yeah, I think that so I cracked the code. And I started talking to a bunch of brokers and I, I also learned that, you know what, the, the industry is way more complicated than I originally thought, because guess what? Brokers can get paid a couple different ways. Brokers make money as if they, they can charge their client a fee for their services and the client pays them directly. But brokers can also, I mean, typically you see in a typical broker arrangement, right? Distinguishing between a broker and a consultant, a broker makes most of their money actually on commission for the products that they place. So they get a commission, uh, whereas a consultant or advisor typically is paid a fee from the client directly. Now the client is, is footing the bill in most cases, either if there's a commission involved or if there's a, or there's a fee, an administrative fee or service fee that they pay, the commission is just baked into their rates. But when a commission is, is at play, it's in some cases, commissions are disclosed and in some cases they're required to be disclosed and in other cases they're not. And I actually learned after talking to some larger consulting firms that, uh, yeah, everything you're saying sounds good, but the way we have things structured now are, are, is working just fine. And, and what I interpreted from that statement was we're not really interested in disrupting our revenue models because what you're proposing doesn't really leave any room for us to make money on it. So no thanks, we're not interested. Uh, and it wasn't until I got in front of the team at Henderson Brothers and I found an organization that was fully aligned philosophically and I would even argue morally with how I wanted to do business. 
Henderson Brothers does not make money on pharmacy. They don't make money on the solution that they're recommending for their client because inherently it, it can create a conflict of interest, right? If right. this pharmacy solution gives me a higher commission than that pharmacy solution, and they're about the same, maybe one might be slightly better, it's, it's not significant enough for me to recommend against it. And so they become conflicted in their recommendations. And guess what? Maybe the better solution doesn't get recommended. Henderson Brothers isn't conflicted in that way. And so I found a home with somebody that wanted to hear what I had to say about pharmacy and then begin to build their practice uh, around these philosophies. And so to your question, do you just pick up the phone and start talking to brokers? I don't think it's really that simple. Uh, and it's, it's almost like, where do you begin? Right. I think that my journey was a five-year journey uh, before I was in a position to actually have a meaningful conversation with a broker, uh, maybe a four-year, four to five-year journey. Uh, but there is a way to do it. And I think this is a conversation to kind of uncover how we might accomplish that. But you're not necessarily looking for any broker. You're looking for a Henderson Brothers-like broker, or maybe you're looking to, you know, introduce Henderson Brothers, so to speak, to an employer that you might know. And we'll, I think we'll talk about that in, in a little bit more detail later on. Yeah. Hey, okay. hey Chris, I, I, I just butt in for a minute. So, I mean, no big secret details, but you've been doing this for five, six years now. Uh, you've, you've won some. Uh, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what winning looks like? Yeah, for sure. So ultimately, we have to look at this, uh, you know, employer benefits. We have to look at it through the lens of the employer, right? So, and I think this is a challenge that community pharmacists face. This is, this is an issue inherently within our industry. And this is across all of those you know market segments that i described earlier community pharmacists are generally very knowledgeable individuals uh but where they fail is they're very used to talking about their own woes their challenges how unfair it is right bad reimbursement neg below cost reimbursement is awful having my patients that i've been serving for years taken away from me is awful i agree all of those things are bad but the the and the individuals that we want to to solve those problems or help us, they don't they're not really interested in hearing us complain, uh, and so we have to really view this opportunity through the eyes of the employer, and you have to know what is of interest to them, what matters to them. Number one, obviously, cost matters to them. The total cost of their population of their healthcare matters, but in nearly every, and I've spoken to more than a hundred employers. I have, I have conversations almost daily with one or another employer about their, their benefits. And pharmacy has never been more important to them. When we look at their total healthcare benefits, I have, I had a client yesterday, I spoke to greater than 40 or 45% of their total healthcare spend is is attributed to pharmacy, where when you look at CMS's numbers, 10% of total healthcare costs is pharmacy. The employer space was trending higher in the last you know, decade at about 20% of total healthcare spend being pharmacy. Now it's approaching and exceeding 40%. Uh, and when you then zero in on that 40%, more than 50% of that pharmacy spend is attributed to specialty drugs. So 2% or less of their population. 
is driving half of their pharmacy costs, which it, it can it translate to 20 to 25% of all of their drug spend or all of their healthcare spend, excuse me. So cost matters to the employer, but equally as important to that is the, the experience of their employee. Benefits are part of a strategic offering for employers to attract and also to retain employees. I don't know that the country has ever faced a more competitive job market than right now. An attractive benefit package typically looks like a lot of options, uh, less uh, cost to the employee, uh, little to no disruption when changes need to be implemented, and the list goes on and on and on. And so you can't just come to the table with a, hey, pharmacies are getting taken advantage of and you are too, and here's what's going on. That, that sales pitch is not enough. You have to do your homework and understand the, the, your target. They have headaches, they have problems. And if you have solutions to address that, it's not about changing the PBM vendor necessarily. Uh, you, can, you can work within the confines of their existing structure, or you can make a recommendation. I mean, there are cases where employers are indeed getting taken advantage of by the current structure that's working against them. But there are other scenarios where things are actually working out pretty well from a PBM processing perspective. However, what's really missing from the benefit is accountability to pharmacy services, accountability to adherence, right? In these traditional models out there, the pharmacist is not held accountable, nor in many cases are they given the opportunity to be held accountable to the outcome associated with the disease that's being treated by drugs, right? We're spending all this money on medicine. The employers are spending all this money on drugs, and their only focus is on the cost of those medicines. They're not talking about, are these drugs working? Are we getting to the desired outcome? Are the people taking the drugs? Do they know how to take them? And that is where the community pharmacy can come in, in, into play. And that's where I have seen success. I've seen success working with employers that have decided to change PBMs to a smaller, transparent, pass-through model and have implemented a custom network that directs their employees to community pharmacies to take advantage of these services. So where my head is going is, is that when we talk about the brokers, not only have you obviously learned a lot about that side of the business, but you also are an expert on pharmacy. You're a, you're a pharmacist, you're a pharmacy owner. And so what is, you've got to be bringing some knowledge and expertise to, as, to the broker, Henderson Brothers, as well as the client to say, hey, look, this is the part of your drug costs. This is the part of the pharmacy that makes these impacts in health outcomes. Tell us, I mean, what are some of the things that you know or have been able to share that pharmacy does that have been game changers for the employer? So it, many things. We possess unique insight and perspective into patient care that uh, many other folks do not. I can tell you that I, I interact with pharmacists in this managed care space, uh, in the employer brokerage space uh, regularly. And even those that say, you know, I have retail experience, I will tell you that retail experience is not the same across the board. If I go to, you know, 
any, you know, a pharmacy in the Midwest, if I go to trip Logan's pharmacy, for example, mm-hmm. out in, uh, you know, Missouri, mm-hmm. it's going to be a very different retail experience than going to a Walgreens in you name it town. Right. Uh, and so community pharmacy experience where we actually engage with patients, I'm able to practically educate my clients on, and, and my colleagues on what actually happens in a community pharmacy. You know, there are buzzwords that are being used out there. Transparency is one of them. Uh, but another buzzword I think at this point is social determinants of health. That's a buzz term. Sure. Yeah. It's being used a lot. But is it practically being used? If you want to talk about social determinants of health, go talk to the community pharmacy that delivers typically or exists in underserved communities or rural communities or or otherwise. We know what are the issues that are plaguing our patients and what leads to medication non-adherence. When I look at my clients and I have access to all data, data, you know, on the outside, you don't get to sniff data, but on the inside a brokerage firm, we have access to, like, I have more data than I know what to do with. Uh, and so I'm, I look at the data and I can see that in the employer space, this is what's different from Medicaid and Medicare. In the Medicaid and Medicare space, typically a larger percentage of the population is really sick. Uh, in the employer space, really five, roughly 5% of their population is responsible for 50% of total costs in the, in, the, in the benefit plan. So it's really a small percentage of people that are driving all of the cost. And then everyone else is their utilizers, but it's just a matter of time before they plop into that 5%. Uh, and so you've got this focus on, you know, this small population improving their health, addressing concerns, optimizing, you know, all of their utilization, and then the rest of the population, we spend a lot of time on prevention and, and managing uh, them to preventative exams and biometric screenings, et cetera, et cetera. The, the quote unquote wellness bucket uh, that is very important to employers. But within that 5%, you've got people that are taking 5, 7, 15, 20 medications. These are people that I know in my pharmacy, we do a tremendous job of managing these folks. We do an incredible job of taking care of these folks. We offer, you know, adherence packaging. We put them in, we, we do comprehensive medication reviews for them. Or I've had the opportunity to do a Medwise review with these patients. And I can see the impact that we can make on these patients. And in these meetings, I can say, listen, this sounds great. It really looks great. It's shiny, but it's not going to work. Take a look at these three services that a community pharmacy can offer. And fortunately, because CPESN exists, I can sit in these meetings and say, yeah, there are 3,500 plus pharmacies in the country that can do this. And I was able to get one of our national clients who has employees in nearly all 50 states to say, you know what, we like that idea of CPESN. Uh, we like the idea of, of those pharmacies doing medication safety reviews or, uh, you know, your traditional CMRs or MTMs. Uh, we'd like to do that. And they actually created, they implemented a preferred network where their employees pay less for their medicines. Their copays are lower if they go to a CPESN pharmacy. And that's, I mean, like I said, I don't want to go on and on forever. You mentioned Medwise a minute ago. Um, 
and I know that's a commercial product that Prescribe Wellness provides, but you're a, you're a certified MedWise person. Tell us just real quickly what MedWise is and how it helps on this area that you're talking about. Yeah, what I mean, what I love about MedWise is that it has data to back up its its efficacy as a solution. Number one, as a as a pharmacy that does these med safety reviews, it's a it's a very viable financial model for us. We're, we're compensated fairly for the time and effort we put into it. Medwise, simply put, is a decision support tool that informs me of potential drug interactions that are otherwise not identifiable through traditional drug interaction checker, checkers, right? It looks at a you know, an aggregated sedative burden or an aggregated anticholinergic burden. If you take two anticholinergics together, your computer system may warn you of, hey, these are similar drugs. Uh, if you're taking three or four drugs that have very minor or minimal anticholinergic burden, but when you put them all together, they actually put together, they, they combine to maybe a medium or high level of cholinergic burden. You don't see that in your system. And so it's an incredible, mind-blowing technology that can deliver meaningful impact to a patient. And I've personally seen this. And so I can sit in front of a client and say, you should consider this. You don't need to do this for everyone in your plan. We'll stratify your population. We'll target those that are, that are, that are at the highest risk for having a serious adverse event, which, by the way, is the fourth leading cause of death in our country. Uh, and... We'll sit down, we can connect them with community pharmacists that will deliver this care. This is what you'll pay per interaction, but guess what? Here's a guarantee on the return on the investment that you're going to get as a result of this clinical interaction. So this is a solution that nobody else in the market is coming to an employer to talk about. This is a solution like CPESN as an example that is unique to my dialogue because nobody else in the market has this type of perspective. So if you can deliver value to an employer population, you can help them accomplish their goals, which, as I, I pointed out earlier, what those goals are generally, then you're going to have a chance to talk if the broker is on board with you. And that, again, I can come back to this because the broker brokers are really, they don't know what they're talking about out there on pharmacy. I, I can attest to this. Uh, and even my colleagues at Henderson Brothers have said, Man, before we had you on our team, we were we were just the same as all these other brokerage firms that are clueless on pharmacy. Uh, even the large, the, these multi-billion-dollar employer consulting houses, uh, they have like three pharmacists for their entire country. For the entire country, thousands and thousands of employers, they've got three pharmacists. And you know what? Those pharmacists don't have community pharmacy experience. And in my case, obviously, I own a, a, a nationally licensed dual accredited specialty pharmacy uh, that helps in the conversation because I practically know how the specialty pharmacy works inside and out. But the broker, it all comes back to the broker. That's really the core part of this opportunity to work with employers. Well, I was just going to sum that up with the concept of, yeah, it comes down to the broker but it also comes down to the right broker. And we're fortunate for community pharmacy that 
you are in a position to be that right broker for, you know, our segment that we are so, I think, aligned and passionate about. So um, it's exciting that you are bringing this knowledge to to our community pharmacy. So I just wanted to say thank you. And and the good thing is, is it sounds like there's something they can do about it. So I think that that's where you were going to lead to. There is an opportunity here for pharmacy to get involved and uh, uh, help employers find a better uh, prescription benefit for their employees. So this is complicated, and and Chris, I, I I think you've cleared me to say this, but you can modify it. Um, most pharmacists are not going to be able to handle this in the depth that you've gone to. Um, uh, my understanding is that if people email me at b is in Bruce, f is in Frank, kneeland at uh, gmail.com and let me know if they tell me what you think they need to sh share with me and and then i can put them in touch with you yeah so in the last couple minutes here this the, the opportunity is real for community pharmacies and here's why as i pointed out earlier in my own rolodex i know more than a dozen i mean i got some really talented folks and uh on my team we've got a big team we know a lot of people that own or manage medium uh, even large businesses, you know, you know, the CFO of a, an employer that has 5,000 employees, that's, that's pretty material for a community pharmacy. But I would wager, I mean, and this is, you know, you can self-govern this, but you probably can't have a conversation with their boardroom or even with their broker on how they should, how they could improve their benefit plan to work in, in concert with a community pharmacy strategy. But what you, you do have is that relationship. And so I would be, I'm more than happy. You know, I care about community pharmacy. I'm passionate about community pharmacy, not just because I'm, I'm loyal to my industry, but because I know that community pharmacies like mine can take the best care of people. So I want to help you be successful in your communities. So as Bruce pointed out, if you know an employer, not just an acquaintance, but if you have a relationship with somebody that's a decision maker at an employer, and you think they, and you know, I would, you know, if you were to ask them, hey, I, or, 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 or talk to them, I bet pharmacy is a problem in your benefit plan. I bet specialty pharmacy is probably a, 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 an issue for your benefit plan. Are you, are you confident that your broker or your advisor has got you and put in a great strategy there? If the answer is anything but a resounding yes, then they need to talk to Henderson Brothers. And this is not really an infomercial for Henderson Brothers, but because I've talked to a lot of brokers, they either aren't big enough or they don't get it, they don't understand the market uh, to appreciate what a real pharmacy strategy can deliver for their clients. Uh, but if you have a relationship with an employer, Henderson Brothers can be the solution for that employer. And because Henderson Brothers is fully aligned to delivering valuable and meaningful pharmacy solutions to their client, and a community pharmacy strategy is at the center of that, uh, your community will win if Henderson Brothers is involved. 
And so we could talk offline, email Bruce, if you have an idea. I mean, you, I know some of your, you all may know me personally. You can reach out to me as well. If you know me, uh, I just, obviously, you know, we're trying to, to be mindful of, uh, filtering through, you know, questions and whatnot to, you know, I respect Bruce and we, we have this mission to improve community pharmacy for everyone. So Bruce, that that's my take on it. We all know somebody that can make a decision on this. And if the, from a couple hundred lives on up there, there's a good chance that employer is self-insured and that's the employer that needs to hear this type of message uh, wrapped around an entire benefit strategy. Well, it, you've laid down the challenge. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing I like to say is the big PBMs have the money community pharmacy has the relationships and uh, we can draw on that. And boy, am I glad that my daughter, Robin Amberg, introduced me to you five years ago. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, let's uh, hope that something we've said here will help those who own an independent pharmacy do more and be better. That's it today for Pharmacy Crossroads. See you on our next episode. Take care. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you.